Good morning. Welcome to the Vince Coping Radio Program. Hope you are well. Not much going on in the news, is there? My goodness. <laughs> A lot of ground to cover during the course of the broadcast today, as always. And this is a conversation with you, so your input always welcome. Of course, we have the latest in what's going on in the Middle East. As bad as things have been, concerned about how this thing could actually expand beyond what we have seen thus far. We're going to go into a little philosophical conversation about something that has happened with the resignation of a State Department official. See, I am a person, and I don't say things just for reaction. I firmly believe I would love to see a complete overhaul of the State Department. I believe it is full of people who are not very wise. We'll give you an example of this coming up. And I throw out the question, and you can start to ponder this now. What has been more dangerous for the Middle East? Weapons or diplomacy? Think about this. Weapons or diplomacy? It's something that I started thinking about in light of the story I'm going to share with you about a resignation that is in the news. Also coming up, We will come close to home to talk about voting that is now underway. Yes, there is an election coming up next month. Early voting is underway. Are you excited? Do you even know who the candidates are? By the way, I extend now an invitation to anyone who is running for office who would like to weigh in. And this includes Democrats. You are welcome to have a conversation here about your candidacy, and why you should be the person who wins your particular race. Speaking of looking ahead to the future, we also have redistricting underway. And The Hill has an interesting story about one of the maps that would really have an impact on future races we will have a discussion about that back to washington a second failed vote for representative jim jordan who would like to become speaker of the house he failed and it's not just a failure we'll tell you why this failure is worse than the first we also have presidential election news one of the big issues for a lot of people it's the issue we face every single day folks the economy, and there's bad news in swing states. For Joe Biden, we will tell you how bad it is as we continue the broadcast today. I want to begin, and boy do we need (laughs) encouraging stories along the way. I want to begin with a positive story. It's a positive story about someone who survived. You know, just imagine what it must be like for someone who 
actually survived the horrors of the Holocaust. And here you are at a place where you think of relative peace in your home country. Surely the most serious threat of your lifetime you would think would be in your past. In your past. And there are people who serve our country heroically, come back to the country only to be gunned down on our own dangerous streets. Incredible irony. I want to tell you about the story of Yaakov Weissman. He survived the horrors of the Holocaust by hiding with a non-Jewish family in France when he was just four years old during World War II. Four years old. He's now 83 years old. We are glad to report he did survive the horrible October 7th attack in Israel by Hamas gunmen. That is certainly drawn comparison to Nazi atrocities for its brutality. His village is just 1,600 feet from the border with the Gaza Strip. I don't know about you. I don't know that I'd want to live that close. And I would think a lot of people are rethinking their living conditions. Any case, 1,600 feet from the border with the Gaza Strip from where Hamas Islamists, under the cover of a hail of missiles, stormed into Israel, killing 1,400 people, mostly civilians. Weissman heard rockets go off around 6 o'clock a.m. that Saturday. It was also the Sabbath, the Jewish day of rest. Weissman said rockets, rockets, and booms, it's not the first time. He lived in a village of 800 people. They're used to projectiles aimed by armed Palestinian groups at Israel. Pistol in hand. He and his wife followed the drill to get into his fortified shelter, something every home in the area is equipped with, securing the door and the window within 15 seconds. So then I heard with my wife, machine gun fire, we heard this. We know there's been an infiltration of enemy forces. A deep sadness came over him. He said, because as soon as there's gunfire, I know there are deaths. We are so thankful that for Yaakov Weissman, all of his people are okay. He came out of the shelter, found to his great relief, all 23 of his descendants, children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren who live in the village were alive. Sadly, 20 people in his village were killed, including many of the people that Weissman knew personally. Five of them died with weapons in their hands. They were security volunteers. And he believes these folks prevented further bloodshed. Weissman had to flee his home village in southern Israel after the Hamas attack. And he's learned about the savagery, the savagery, which is comparable to the time of the Holocaust. Weissman said the overwhelming emotion for him beyond sadness is anger because 
How did our famous army get caught off guard? How did this happen? Born in France, 1940, Weissman said the attacker revived memories of his childhood hiding from the Nazis. I'm going to tell you more about his experience because we would do well to remember that. Because we are in, frankly, similar times for some people today. You know, I have a great respect for folks who have endured something in their lives, especially these folks who survived the Holocaust. I'm telling you the story of Yakov Weissman. I'm, this just warms my heart. Doesn't it warm your heart to hear in the midst of all of this horror and violence that he and all the generations of his family are okay. It is comforting. 23 of his descendants, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, as you know, we don't need to be reminded of all of the loss. I know that full well. This is not to dismiss that at all. We can celebrate this one family. In sharing about his own experience, Mr. Weissman was born in France, 1940. He talked about how this reminded him. Hiding from the Nazis, his Polish parents fled pogroms. To move to France in 1933, his father was arrested by Nazi-allied French militia in 1944. He was deported to the Auschwitz concentration camp. And if you need some reminder of how important it is that this man is still alive, Auschwitz is where 1.1 million people, most of them Jews, were killed. But there was intervention. A non-Jewish family took him and his sister in a village near the southeastern part of Lyon, pretending they were their nephew and a niece on a visit. After the war, Weissman moved to Israel, where he first lived close to the Jordanian border before resettling in Netiv Hasara, a farming village in the Sinai Peninsula, after it was seized by Israel from Egypt during the 1967 Six-Day War. That village evacuated 1982 under the framework of a peace deal, which returned control of the peninsula to Egypt was then displaced to its current location close to the Gaza Strip conserving its name at 83 Weissman has been displaced again this time to retirement home inhabitants of villages close to Gaza have mostly vacated their homes in recent days as Israeli troops massed in preparation for a ground invasion Weissman says I don't want revenge I want the people responsible to pay. Adding that for him, not only is Hamas at fault, but those in Gaza who jumped in joy and distributed sweets when the gunmen were carrying out their attack. His greatest revenge against the Nazis simply having stayed alive and built a family. 
He said, you wanted to exterminate us. Well, I had children and grandchildren. We kept on living. Adding that he uses the compensation Germany pays him as a Holocaust survivor to take the family on vacation. What he wants for Hamas is to eradicate them from the map. Israel's vow to destroy Hamas must be met. Adding, then I will calm down. After that, he says without hesitation, he wants to return to Nedev Hazara. Though he concedes, my daughters may not want that. Man, what a wealth of life experience. You see, these are the people who deserve to be famous. They deserve attention. They deserve our respect. There's something about the strength of character that this kind of life needs attention, which is why I'm drawing attention to it this morning. Someone who, despite all that has happened, has gone on to build, build a legacy, a legacy of lives. Wonderful. And I hope for his sake he will see not only his family continuing to survive and thrive, but perhaps, perhaps some modicum, some measure of peace before he leaves this earth. Still to come in the broadcast, we'll go into some of the headlines of what is taking place in the Middle East, concerns about a broadening conflict. We have a story about a resignation in the State Department. It's a springboard to a question I've posed this morning. Very much want to hear from you. The carnage that we're seeing right now, is this the product of war or of peace? And maybe peace isn't the word. Let me rephrase, use the word I used earlier. Diplomacy. Are we here largely because of diplomacy? We'll also talk about what's taking place electorally on a local front. We have early voting underway. And an update on the speaker's race. We have some breaking news out of Georgia this morning. As you know, there are a number of cases that are connected to the Donald Trump prosecution. One of the defendants, you'll recognize her name, Sidney Powell. She has pleaded guilty in the Georgia election interference case. She's one of 18 co-defendants in former President Donald Trump's election interference case in Georgia. She has taken a plea deal. She's pleading to six misdemeanor charges, according to the agreement, read in court this morning. She will get 12 months of probation for each count, as well as a $6,000 fine. As part of the agreement, Powell must testify truthfully about any co-defendants, i.e. Donald Trump, and provide all documents to the district attorney's office relevant to the case against the other co-defendants. This plea deal comes a day after, 
well, actually before she was scheduled to go on trial, along with co-defendant Kenneth Cheesebro. Now, Cheesebro, according to sources, rejected a similar plea deal with the state. So he's going to go on trial. But again, Sidney Powell pleading guilty, 12 months of probation for each count, six misdemeanor charges, $6,000 fine. So stay tuned for more developments on this one. Let's go out to a call in Gaston County across the river. Here is Bud. Good morning, Bud, and welcome. Good morning, Vince. Always a pleasure. Pleasure's uh, mine. I was just thinking about your comment. You admire people who have been through something, and it occurred to me that the the greatest generation was formed by the Great Depression. And, uh, yes. it, uh, you know, fire isn't meant to destroy steel. It's meant to temper steel. Mm. You are so on the money on that. Are you part of that generation, uh, sir? Uh, no, I'm uh, just turned 76 today. I'm the Vietnam generation. Okay, okay. Do you see where there's been any kind of, I guess, transfer of this that will carry any of us into the future? Do you see any positive benefits of that? Uh I am afraid that uh, perhaps the youngest, you know, maybe they'll come through. I certainly hope and pray they do. But I think perhaps we just have too much. We just are so blessed. Pampered. uh, Yeah, boy, pampered is a good word. We really are. And uh, maybe we need to go fewer. You know, I, uh, I heard a a missionary from uh, Russia one time, and uh, he was asked, uh, what would you pray for the uh, American uh, Christians? And he said, we pray that you be persecuted. Yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah. You know, I, I've i heard that, the, you know, the I'm trying to remember, it was a book I read years ago, I think it was Seduction of Christianity, and he said that uh, one of the positions he took, and it was very thought-provoking when I read this, because he said, you know, persecution doesn't overall, it, 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 it actually makes the church stronger. The danger to especially Christians is seduction. And I think that's what's happened with yeah. us in our culture, isn't it? But there's so many things, so many enticements, just easy living that have just caused us to become uh, very soft. and That's true. You know, I had a career that included uh, international sales, and uh, I, I see it all over the world. People who really are upset with this country, they really need to travel abroad. Mm, amen uh, to that. And, and see, I've seen people living on landfills, gleaning their living off of what they can... Uh, get off the landfill of people living in, uh, of course, what I saw in Vietnam, but people in uh, supposedly uh, well-developed countries living in cardboard huts. And, uh, yeah, we are we are just too blessed in, in many ways. I, I hear you, bud. I very much appreciate your call, and thanks for your contribution, sir, and always good to hear from you. Feel free to call back any time. 
it's also a fresh reminder of me to me you know i i think uh what really impacted me a great deal first time i went to haiti i think it was around 2000 when when the first it was two or three weeks after the earthquake that was a very very sobering experience for me because it, it was the first time i've been to a third world country and that was an eye-opening experience it really was i mean it was it, and it was doubly so because haiti was poor and devastated in every way before the earthquake the earthquake made conditions even worse and to be there for uh, a number of days i think may have been there a week the first time i don't remember how long it was um, basically living among people and experiencing what they're experiencing it's um, it really was an eye-opening experience in many ways and I did come back with a greater I mean I tell people all the time I don't know how many times when I take a hot shower which I love hot showers I cannot tell you how many times I think of Haiti my time in Haiti and I'm reminded as how much how many times I was craving a hot shower because most people don't have that luxury and yes it is a luxury that only in many cases the rich can afford in a place like that so a lot to be thankful for a lot to be thankful for still to come in the broadcast we will have the latest Middle East headlines for you and we'll talk about the resignation of a State Department official what is this resignation about and it leads to the question that I raised what has been the greatest danger leading to the circumstances we have today weapons or diplomacy we'll talk about this a little bit more uh, later on but House Republicans are going to meet Behind closed doors, the Republican conference figure out their next steps in terms of choosing a leader. I told you the scenarios there. You know, we've got still apparently the active pursuit of the speakership from one Jim Jordan. But the other fallback plan is one that some Democrats are supporting, which is to further empower Patrick McHenry from right here in North Carolina which I hope never happens. By the way, fall is here. It's time for WBT's Talktoberfest 2023. Join us every Monday, every Wednesday night as well in Talktober for a live interactive conversation with the WBT team on our Facebook Live feed. What we talk about, that's up to you. So you can ask us any questions you may have. So grab a pint of whatever you'd like to drink, maybe more than a pint too. Don't get carried away. Join us 7 o'clock Monday and Wednesday, Talktoberfest 2023, presented by Dry Otter Waterproofing. Some headlines on the Middle East. Two words. I think you know the meaning of these two words. Powder keg. I talked about this, just the potential, how explosive this could be. Europe up security for good reason. Rising hostility in America. Homeland warning. Yeah, there should be. Biden will deliver a prime time address on all of this. 
Are you going to pay attention? Trip was gamble. It's already paying off. Heroes welcome in Tel Aviv. Airstrikes, commandos, siege. How Israel's preparing for invasion. Survivors of kibbutz attack turn ire on Netanyahu. This is one of the stories that I think is kind of a simmering story because they are in wartime. But there's a lot of people questioning the leadership of Benjamin Netanyahu now. How did this happen in the first place? Fury over Gaza hospital blasts across the Middle East. Iran nuke alarm. Time is up. Jews hide faith in divided London. Berlin synagogue firebombed. You know there's a great deal of anti-Semitism in Europe. French airports evacuated for a second day. Pro-Hamas extremists. Neo-Nazi flood socials. Yeah. It's all over the place. These messages... And sadly, there are a lot of people who find these messages to be quite acceptable. No problem whatsoever. Axios has an interesting story about a U.S. State Department official who worked on global arms transfers resigning yesterday due to his opposition to the Biden administration's additional military aid to Israel amid the war with Hamas. This person's name is Josh Paul. He was director of Congressional and Public Affairs at the Department's Bureau of Political Military Affairs. He posted his resignation letter online in a rare act of public dissent against the Biden administration as the president prepares to ask Congress for an unprecedented military aid package for Israel following his visit to Tel Aviv. Paul has been with the State Department for 11 years. Called the response to the Biden administration an impulsive reaction built on confirmation bias. An intellectual bankruptcy said he couldn't work in support of a short-sighted, destructive, unjust policy. What do you think about this resignation? Do you agree? Here's a direct quote from this letter posted in LinkedIn. I'm leaving today because I believe in our current course with regards to the continued, indeed expanded and expedited provision of lethal arms to Israel. I've reached the end of that bargain. Let me be clear. Hamas attack on Israel is not just a monstrosity. It was a monstrosity of monstrosities. <laughs> but I believe to the core of my soul, the response Israel is taking and with it, the American support both for that response and for the status quo of the occupation, there's a key word, occupation, will only lead to more and more deeper suffering for both the Israeli and Palestinian people, not in the long-term American interests. Paul resigned. He said it was clear there's no arguing over the Biden administration's Israel policy. He wrote in his letter, he feared the U.S. was repeating the same mistakes we've made these past decades. I declined to be a part of it for longer. Representatives for the State Department did not immediately respond to Axios' request for comment on this particular letter. So I pose this question to you, which we can carry into the next hour. 
What do you think about this letter? But the broader question to me is, what do you think has been a real danger? Even as we've watched events over the past two weeks, what's the real danger? Is it military arms or has it been diplomacy? I think you know where I'm going with this because my position would be it's diplomacy. I believe that is what has opened the door for this situation that will never be resolved. This idea, and I've said before, this whole idea of a two-state solution, it's, it's a foolish, foolish idea. Now, if there's some idea of having a discussion about anything, at the end of the day, it all has to begin with a mutual recognition of the other's right to exist. And thus far, you have one side that refuses to accept the existence of the other. Israel's given them the chance. And given the chance, what they have done is they've used that property, they've used the very land given to them as a staging area for horrendous, horrendous behavior. And I've said it before, anybody else who continues this kind of policy and wants to talk again about land for peace, my ears will be closed. Don't want to hear it. Pure nonsense. By the way, if you heard me uh, almost chuckle during the course of sharing part of that story, there's a good reason for that. Chris sent a message in the middle of this saying, I won't be listening to Biden tonight because I don't want to lose my 29-year sobriety. (laughs) Chris, I fully understand where you're coming from. That could very much be at risk. Um, My heart goes out to you. Still to come in the broadcast, we will have some other items on this subject. We'll also talk about elections, redistricting, and the speaker's race as we continue the Vince Coakley Radio program straight ahead. Welcome to hour number two of the Vince Coakley Radio Program on this Thursday. Still to come on the broadcast, we'll talk about some local issues related to voting and elections. Also, back in the nation's capital, the ongoing saga, drama. Who's going to become the Speaker of the House? Also, some fresh information polling information on swing states this is interesting stuff and i'm sure the biden team is thrilled about the fact the election is next year not right now because biden would be in some deep crap we'll talk about that coming up also we have some information has not gotten a lot of attention because of all that's going on understandably about sensitive documents related to the Biden crime family. Just some of the things we'll delve into during the course 
of the remainder of this broadcast today. Before I go into anything deeper, I want to remind you of the question I raised, too, because I very much want your input on this. Tell me, please tell me your perspective. What's brought us to today and this volatile situation we face in the Middle East? Is it driven largely by arms and weapons or diplomacy? What's behind these very adverse circumstances? Love to get your thoughts. Closer to home, early voting underway for November's general election in Mecklenburg County. City Council races, Charlotte Mecklenburg School Board. And you can cast ballots right now at the Howe Marshall Building. That's at 618 North College Street. That is the only location open for early voting until next Thursday. Then it will expand to 19 other locations across the county. So if you want to go vote now, Howe Marshall Building, 618 North College. We've got Charlotte City Council races, also mayor's races in Charlotte, Cornelius, Huntersville. Voters will select three at-large members for Charlotte Mecklenburg schools. Plus, we've got the $2.5 billion bond package for construction and school improvements to vote on. What are your thoughts on that particular issue? You can weigh in on that this morning. 704-570-1110 is our phone number. The Hill reports on... Some interesting map proposals under discussion in Raleigh. What are they up to? Well, North Carolina's House GOP members unveiled two new voting maps. These are proposals that could deal a blow to state Democrats in the 2024 election. Senate redistricting committee members revealed a pair of congressional map proposals that would alter the boundary lines for the state's 14 U.S. House seats. And threaten seven Democrat seats. Statewide election data with Wednesday proposals said one of the Senate proposals would establish 10 districts. Now, I want you to keep in mind what I just said. Seven Democrat seats, right? Get a load of this. One of the Senate's proposals would establish 10 districts that would likely favor a Republican candidate. Three favor a Democrat one could be considered a close race. The other proposal shows Republicans likely winning 11 out of the 14 seats. The redrawn maps come after the North Carolina Supreme Court, which had a Democrat majority at the time, struck down the GOP-controlled General Assembly's congressional and legislative maps drawn out in the fall of 2021, arguing the maps went against the state's constitution's barring of extensive partisan gerrymandering. The General Assembly was ordered to draw up new boundaries, and trial judges created an interim congressional plan that was used in the 2022 elections. The 2022 elections gave North Carolina's U.S. congressional delegation an even split among parties, including seven Democrats, seven Republicans. Last year, the state Supreme Court flipped to a Republican majority, 
overruled its previous decision that struck down the state's GOP-drawn voting maps. The 5-2 to two party line vote in April argued the claims of partisan gerrymandering are political questions the state's courts cannot decide. The Supreme Court ruled in April the General Assembly could still propose new district boundaries for use through the 2030 elections as the last ruling was decided by the previous Democrat majority court. It's not immediately clear which of the proposed maps will advance in the Senate. North Carolina, one of multiple states, others including New York, Louisiana, Georgia, and Alabama, that could experience changes to congressional maps ahead of the 2024 election. The decisions over those maps, hey, they weigh very heavily for Republicans who are trying to hold on to their narrow majority in the House. So this could have an impact. Do you think about the margin? I mean, we have a margin in the single digits in the House of Representatives. Just imagine. Just a change of one or two seats could make all of the difference in the world. So, it will be interesting to watch. Jim Jordan, where does he go? Where does he go now? He failed again to win enough Republican support to become the next Speaker of the House. Prompting increasing calls from both parties to expand the powers of the interim Speaker. To overcome the GOP's intra-party morass and move on with legislative matters. Here's where the real problem comes in. Jordan, who received 200 votes in the first ballot, had said he would continue trying to win over the 20 colleagues who had opposed him. In the only round of balloting on Wednesday, however, he lost overall support, ending up with 199 votes. He flipped only two Republican votes and lost four of his colleagues, most of whom are pragmatic lawmakers focused on governing and allies of Representative Steve Scalise, who initially defeated Jordan for the party's nomination last week. Afterward, a spokesman for Jordan vowed the Ohio Republican would keep going. Even though it's unclear, what is his path? What is his path to get those votes that he needs? Jordan says lawmakers would reconvene today. This was instead of continuing to vote last night. You remember there were multiple votes before Kevin McCarthy became speaker. Is... The same going to be the case for Jim Jordan? Is he going to keep trying and trying and trying until he wins? Or is he going to give up? We shall see. Love to get your thoughts on that as well as we continue the Vince Coakley radio program. Also, coming up, we'll talk about some new polling information on swing states. Not good at all for the Biden campaign. And... An interesting revelation out of Congress, the House Oversight Committee, suggesting the Biden crime family. Some information has been kept away. Back of the Vince Coakley radio program. If you'd like to join the conversation, the phone number is 704-570-1110. 704-570-1110. You can also connect with your host 
at Vince Coakley on X. Also, Vince Coakley page on Facebook. Look for the profile with me behind the microphone. I'm sure the Biden people are thrilled about the fact that this is October 2023 and not October 2024. Otherwise, Joe Biden would be in some big trouble. I take you to a new story from Axios. Economy-focused voters in key swing states reject Bidenomics. It's really sad to me. These people are so delusional that they think there would be anything that would be intelligible about any economic plan. I mean, what is the economic plan? Borrow, spend, borrow, spend. I mean, is this unique? Are we supposed to look at this and say, wow, here's something really creative (laughs) that has been done. It's the same crap that's been done for decades. Well, here's the news. Voters in the top seven swing states are rejecting the Bidenomics message central to President Biden's reelection bid. This is according to a new poll out from Bloomberg News and Morning Consult. What's important in a presidential election isn't national polling, but how the candidates are doing in the swing states to decide the winner. There aren't many polls that wrap in multiple swing states. This poll surveyed 5,023 registered voters earlier this month, found voters who said the economy was their most important issue. Are you ready for this? Disapproved of Biden economic policies. You want to know how bad it is? This is not close. This is not razor thin. This is a blowout. The margin is 65 to 14%. Ouch. It's pretty ugly. Where's the support for Bidenomics? Now, if I were advising this campaign, I would tell them to never use that word again. Ever. Fifty-one <laughs> percent of swing state voters said the national economy was better off under former President Trump. Overall, just twenty-six percent of voters in the poll said Bidenomics has been good for the economy. Twenty-six percent. Forty-nine percent disapproved of the policies. Biden campaign spokesperson Kevin Muniz downplayed the findings in a statement provided to Axios. Predictions more than a year, more than a year out, tend to look a little different a year later. Well, of course they do. We will win in 2024 by putting our heads down and doing the work, not by fretting about a poll. By the way, here's the big picture. Former President Trump now leads Biden 47 to 43% in the seven-state poll with a margin of error of one percentage point. The poll covers Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania, as well as Wisconsin, the top seven swing states heading into the 2024 campaign. 47-43. Here's a guy who's been indicted multiple times by the state and federal government. And he leads Joe Biden 47-43. This is not a pretty picture. And I don't care 
what this moron is saying, Kevin Muniz, you know these folks are in a panic. Speaking of the Biden crime family, we have this item. President Joe Biden potentially retains sensitive documents about the Biden family business's involvement with foreign countries. This is a revelation from James Comer of Kentucky. The House Oversight Committee chair suggesting Monday in a letter to special counsel Robert Hur. Hur was appointed by Attorney General Merrick Garland is investigating Biden for mishandling of classified material. This relates to his possession of documents from when he was vice president. As part of the probe, he reportedly interviewed the president last week for two hours. Comer apparently suspects her could possess information that links Biden document scandal to his family's foreign dealings. Comer prefaced his remarks by saying the Biden family received millions of dollars from foreign sources while President Biden served in public office and afterwards. In any of the classified documents mishandled by President Biden involved countries or individuals that had financial dealings with Biden family members or their related companies. The committee needs access to that information to evaluate whether a national security has been compromised. Comer also wrote President Biden's retention of certain classified documents begs the question as to why he kept these particular materials. Of the many classified documents he reviewed over his lengthy career, why did President Biden keep these specific documents in his home and office? The sensitive nature of the information contained in the documents may answer that question for the committee, which is why we seek to review those materials that's a brilliant question these particular documents why did he have them i think it's a fair question and i think many of you would love to know the answer what are your thoughts and do you think ultimately we will find out still to come in the broadcast here's a shocker media confidence Matches a record low. Oh boy, this is disturbing. All right, have your six sacks ready, ladies and gentlemen. As you heard from Brandon Dixon just a few minutes ago, we've got breaking news out of the nation's capital. Ohio Representative Jim Jordan has decided not to ask his House Republican colleagues to vote for him on a third ballot after losing two consecutive votes on Tuesday and Wednesday. Instead, he's going to sign on to this plan to empower Representative Patrick McHenry from here in North Carolina, who served as Speaker Pro Tem. Here we go with this line. Since a group of hardline conservatives forced the ouster of then-Speaker Kevin McCarthy earlier this month, Mr. Jordan informed his GOP colleagues of his intention to stand down at a House Republican conference meeting this morning. That's what happened at that meeting. I'm sure you'll have some comments on this, and this is why uh, we had some discussion about this some days ago. I was not in favor of this idea of getting rid of Kevin McCarthy right now. The timing of this is horrible. 
because again, this is not just about getting rid of somebody who is worthless. It's about having a plan to have a better replacement. And now we're going to have yet another, apparently, another progressive Republican who's going to be the speaker. That's what's going to happen here. And no, I'm not proud of the fact he's from North Carolina. I offer him to any of the other 49 states. You can have him. With his horrible liberty score, which I will look up again. I've reached out to several members of Congress. One of them has just texted me now. In conference on this issue now. Just steps outside to use the restroom. We have to leave phones outside. Oh, boy. So, boy, would I love to be a fly on the wall to listen to that conversation. Come closer to home. The conversation about school bonds. Ken on the line wanting to address that. Good morning, Ken, and welcome. Morning, Vince. Always enjoy your show. Thank you. Uh, On your topic of the school bonds, you know, they want to go up on our taxes because they want two and a half billion dollars. Well, I'd like to ask, what happened to all the money that went into the North Carolina education lottery? Where is that money going to? It's a very good question, and I'm sure, you know, there are audits in place for this kind of thing. It's doing what it does. But I think, Ken, this goes to a more fundamental question, because the lottery, that money is kind of a drop in the bucket compared to the funding that goes into the schools. I think the bigger question is, what do they do with that money? And what do we have to show for decades of increases and increases and increases and increases? Does does the level of financial support... Um, does it lead to demonstrable evidence of better schools? That's the question. Okay. So I, I think in the very least, it's a, it's a big question mark on that, which then leads me to the question for you, Ken, where do you stand on the school bonds? I don't mind the school bonds. Uh, I like the proposal that it only has $1 billion and not having our property taxes go up for four years instead of all the way for the two and a half billion and you know this money for the education lottery there are millions of lottery tickets sold every day and you cannot tell me there's not enough money in that kitty to take care of their problems for schools i just i believe that I understand where you're coming from, but I but I think again, uh, as you've um, as I mentioned a little bit ago, appreciate your call there, Ken. It's it's kind of a drop in the bucket compared to the money that is coming from taxpayers. This is this was never intended to be a primary source for funding. It's supposed to be an additional source uh, for what it's worth. Love to get your thoughts. Are you going to vote for the bonds? This caller didn't seem to mind supporting, but he also has some questions, which are legitimate questions. Also want to touch on this. I mentioned this survey on media confidence in the U.S. (laughs) This is a shocker. 
32% have a great deal or fair amount of trust in today's media news reporting. 32%. A new high of 39% have no confidence at all. That figure was 27% in 2016. Democrats' trust is down 12 points since last year, lowest since 2016. So this is not, you know, you can't write this headline and say, well, those right-wing conservatives, right-wing Republicans, extremists, whatever. Guess what? Everybody's in the same boat. 32% of Americans who say they trust the mass media a great deal or a fair amount in a full, fair, and accurate way this ties Gallup's lowest historical reading. Another 29% of U.S. adults have not very much trust, while a record high 39% register none at all. None. This nearly 4 in 10 Americans who completely lack confidence in the media, the highest on record by one percentage point, 12 points higher than the 2016 reading which came amid sharp criticism of the medium from then-presidential candidate Donald Trump, making the current assessment of the media the grimmest in Gallup's history. In 2016, U.S. adults were most likely to say they had not very much trust, that figure at 41% back then. And again, I remind you, this is not just a Republican issue. I think people are recognizing, um, for a variety of reasons, Many in the mainstream news media have proven themselves not to be trustworthy. And now they're paying the price for it. It's really not very complicated at all. Love to get your thoughts on this survey and this news that we have. We remind you of breaking news just a few minutes ago. The Republican conference, the announcement was made by Jim Jordan. He's not going to continue his campaign to become speaker. He's standing down, and he has now thrown his support behind empowering Patrick McHenry. This is a plan that is also favored by some Democrats. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, if Republicans go through with this, they are signing their own political death warrants. It's really that simple. This is pathetic. You have people who would rather empower a Democrat plan then vote a conservative into office. Go figure. How upset are you about this? This drives me up the wall. Final stretch of the Vince Coakley radio program on this Thursday. My goodness. We have some additional information on the situation developing out of our nation's capital. The bid to become speaker is over for Jim Jordan. He lost 20 votes on the first ballot, 22 the second time around. And now Jake Sherman has said that Jordan is not doing a third ballot, and he will put his support behind Patrick McHenry as an interim speaker we have additional information on this now until January 2024. He said former Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Representative 
Representative Jordan Tom Cole and Tom Emmer met briefly to discuss other options. And here's another bizarre twist. Over the past 48 hours, House Republican members revealed they were receiving threats for refusing to support Jordan. Multiple officials are detailing death threats and other intimidation they face for opposing Jim Jordan's speakership bid. There are also reports of pressure on members through their spouses, which angered other members. This is a mess on so many levels. And it helps to explain, because I heard some suggestions about this over the past couple of days. It helps now I have a clear understanding of what some people were saying that apparently some of the pushing efforts were going too far. So we've got one heck of a mess on our hands. And apparently it looks like this issue is going to be resolved unless there's some surprises that come out of this conference meeting that's still going on. I mentioned to you a member of Congress, I won't mention his name, received a text after reaching out to four or five members of Congress who are friends of mine. One of them told me in conference on this issue now, just stepped out to use the restroom. We have to leave our phones outside. So until these guys get out of their conference meeting, um, we will not find out any additional information on what is happening. But I, I fully expect they're going to emerge with a plan. My concern is this plan is going to suck. But they will have a plan nonetheless. So, uh, by the way, for those who may be wondering, you know, we have our own Patrick McHenry, who could be in the spotlight. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Might this help? North Carolina. I'm looking up again Patrick McHenry's Liberty score. Just to underscore to you why we don't need Patrick McHenry. He has a 54 Liberty score. Who was it yesterday I was sharing some audio from? Chip Roy. The guy has a 100. He's only been in Congress for a few years. Patrick McHenry has becoming, he's become progressively liberal the longer he's been in North Carolina. So I don't have any interest in any plan that includes Patrick McHenry. This is pathetic. It really is that they cannot get this thing resolved. But maybe they will surprise me and come out of this with some sort of solution that does not involve him. But time will tell. We will find out. My goodness. Absolutely nauseating. All right, let's take a look at the day in history. How are you doing today, Bernie? I'm great, Vince. I hope you are, man. Not bad at all. Let's see how much you know about early American history. Oh, I'm sure I know a lot. 1781. The Americans defeated people from this country at Yorktown 1781 Great Britain you better believe it the British yes the British I should say boy this was you could imagine a profoundly scandalous headline back in 1796 
editorial speculates Thomas Jefferson had an affair with a slave. Yes. I've we now that. know that's true. But this was going around way back then. Mm. 1873, Yale, Princeton, Columbia, and Rutgers declared the first rules for this very popular American sport. Which one is it? Mm. Probably the most popular sport right now. Is that football? It okay. is football indeed. All right. 1949, the People's Public Republic of China is formally proclaimed. 1973, this president told the appeals court to go pound sand. He is not turning over any tapes. <laughs> Those words would come back to haunt him. Nixon. That's right. I am not a crook. <laughs> My goodness. 1985, this store, the very first one opened up. This is before your time, Bernie. 1985. This is the place where a lot of us old folks would go so that we can uh, have some entertainment to watch, movies to watch. But the very first store of this type opened in 1985, and they pretty much don't exist anymore. Blockbuster? Blockbuster Video. I used to go to Blockbuster, Vince. Did you really? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when I was a kid, I'd go to Blockbuster all the time with my parents. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty good. I pretty was here good. for Blockbuster. VHS <laughs> tapes, all that kind of good stuff. And uh, you remember that important line, be kind, rewind. please rewind. That's right. My goodness. 1987 Black Monday, the stock market got hit with the largest one-day loss ever. Mm. Just a sampling of some of the items as we take a look at the day in history. Just a preview of what is ahead today, because there are a number of moving parts. Obviously, we're following developments in the Middle East. There is a lot of nervousness, curiosity as to how this ground war is going to unfold that people are expecting with Israel. We also have President Joe Biden. We'll speak to the American people this evening. Are you going to watch or listen? Anything in particular you're going to watch or listen for? And we have this new development, breaking news, just the past few minutes, learning that Jim Jordan has decided to throw in the towel. He is not going to stand for another vote to become Speaker of the House of Representatives. He has now thrown support behind the idea of empowering North Carolina's own Patrick McHenry. So stay tuned. All of those stories will be thoroughly covered right here on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. In the meantime, I'm Vince Coakley. Thanks very much for joining me. Have yourselves a great day and God bless you. Adios.